to Safe Radio, offering hope, health, and healing in these challenging times. I'm Ann Bergen, co-host of this series of broadcasts, joined by Jim Derrick, co-founder of the Safe Coalition, whose mission is to provide support for individuals and their families who are facing the challenges of substance use disorder. Jim is a passionate advocate, often courageously sharing his own family's journey in dealing with this heartbreaking affliction so that others will have a safe space to share theirs. His goal and the goal of SAFE is to remove the shame, stigma, guilt that too often go hand in hand with substance use and replace them with hope and compassion, sending a resounding message, you are not alone. Jim has graciously included me, a lifelong educator, in these broadcasts because he knows how much I believe that we must do more to intervene earlier in the lives of young people who too often soothe their emotional pain by using substances, cutting, developing eating disorders, addiction to screen time, and too often see the only solution is ending their lives. We are seeing not only rising incidents of substance use, depression, anxiety, but also intolerance, anger, frustration, and a hard time dealing with life's inevitable disappointments, a fragility that makes life so difficult. It is so important that we listen to young people about their lived experience. Too often we talk at, talk down to kids, missing opportunities to learn how we can better support them on their life's journeys. Our guests today from Franklin High School have so kindly agreed to sit with Jim and me for a conversation about what they believe are the challenges facing kids and other insights they might be willing to share. They are thoughtful leaders at the high school, and we are grateful to them for taking the time out of their busy lives to be with us today. So I'm going to turn it over, and I'm going to ask our guests to introduce yourselves, say hello, and then we'll go from there. Okay? Tyler, do you want to start? All right. Hi. My name is Tyler Powderly. I'm a senior at Franklin High School. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. My name is Nippon Goyle. I'm also a senior at Franklin High School, and I'm so excited to start this conversation. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Thank you. All right. Yeah. And again, we're not expecting you to sort of be experts on life at the high school. I I know both of you. I know of both of you and that um, you're thoughtful and caring. And and I know you're very observant and kind of um, have a lot of wisdom about about what's going on. So I was wondering if you might share some of your views on what do you see the the challenges that that, um, kids are facing today? Sort of the biggest challenges, the things that, that would help us to be aware of. I feel like one of the biggest challenges facing kids is stress. There's a lot. A lot of things going on in everyone's life, especially at the high school level. You've got your academics uh, in the front, and then you've got your extracurriculars, including sports and clubs, activities. And I feel like finding a balance, especially as you get older in high school and you're focused on trying to build a resume for college and stuff stuff like that, um, just having all that on your plate and trying to balance, um, balance your time is one of the leading causes of stress in mm-hmm. kids and trying to deal with that stress is... Tough sometimes. Tyler, I'm curious. Um, as you say that, you know, of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic, which doesn't seem to be going away. So you you are an athlete. You're also a leader at the school. You've got your studies. Do you find that there are healthy outlets for you to to deal with your stress? Well, what do you do about stress? Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely people I can go to, um, both adults and kids. I feel like most people my age would go to their friends um, to deal with some of these stressors because 
people relate. They can relate to what's going on around you because a lot of my friends are involved in the same things I'm involved in, sports and leadership and music and all sorts of other activities. And I feel like there are adults that I can go to, like my parents specifically, but also um, teachers in the school. And um, there's other adults around that, like coaches and my, the director of music, people that you can go to if you feel overwhelmed with these things. Mm. But I feel like the majority of my help or my support for stressful times comes from my closest friends, mm -hmm. whether that be just a quick conversation over text or a longer conversation, maybe drive around the town a little bit and speak and speak my mind a little bit um, about what's stressing me in my life. Nippon, what want to add to that a little bit? Yeah, I totally agree with Tyler. Everything he said so far, um, stress is a major factor in high school. Personally, for myself, one thing. I have a problem with is learning how to say no to things. I find myself overcommitted to a lot of activities. I say yes to them, and then I end up getting stressed, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> so that's a problem I think a lot of students have, just learning how to manage their time in a way that's healthy for them, prioritizing different things, and then learning to say no that, you know, I have limits and I need a break. I need to take a step back and really reflect. Uh, so that's something that really we should look into. Well, I have to say to have that insight at 18 years of age is really <laughs> remarkable because that's a common problem. But it's very, very interesting. And, and you're a football player, so you have the ability to, to get in the weight room, the ability to get out on the field. And um, you, Tyler, with soccer and to be able to to get out some of that anxious energy uh, athletically. Is that something that's really been important to you? That, that is. I think throughout all my extracurricular activities, they're just a way to kind of get out that pent-up stress because they're things that I really enjoy doing and I'm passionate about. I, I love playing football. I love being out there. I love being in the band. I love playing my trumpet. I love commentating sports games with Franklin TV. So yeah, you're these, great at it, too, Thank by you, the way. thank you. Uh, so although I... Uh, these things do take up time at the same time since I like doing them so much it doesn't really feel like a chore so it is a way uh, a way to relax can I can I follow up on that because this is a concern across the country and um, it's uh, the ter this academic stress and and this is something I feel very strongly about I feel that there's so much pressure now on young people that the only path to success in life is to get into the absolute right college. You have to have a, the, the right number of AP courses. You have to build a resume. And what's happening is that it is leading to enormous emotional issues with young people. The incidence of emotional um, distress on college campuses today uh, is enormous. I'm just wondering is is are you feel I don't mean like you personally, but just get that sense out there in society that the, that sort of the only way to be successful is that you have to have this incredible resume, which is destroying any kind of not all enjoyment, but a lot of enjoyment. Can you speak to that? Because that bothers me more than I can tell, as you can tell. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I definitely feel like obviously we know and people know deep down that no, not the only way. To, there's not only one way to succeed going through college is one of them but there are also different di different outlets that people can use to go far in life um, but definitely there is a pressure and students feel like they have to get involved as much as they can and I and like Nippon said I enjoy a lot of the things I do um, whether it be sports or music or student government um, but there is pressure to get involved at the highest level and balancing that and academics can obviously lead to very high levels of stress, and I see that amongst 
like our entire school community with all my friends um, and even people from other schools that I know. Um, people yep. from from a young age, even like going into freshman year, the advice that you always get from upperclassmen is get involved, get involved, join clubs, join sports, so you can be maybe have a leadership position in a later year. You can build that college resume. It's always about build the college resume, right. build the college resume. It's build the college resume, but not build a life. Go ahead, Nippon. What are we going to say to that? Yeah, I'm going to speak to my personal experience yep. uh, about that resume and that pressure that's built up. So, you know, throughout my school career. I was always seen, like Tyler is, as one of those just bright kids that, you know, does everything, um, you know, is destined for great things, you know, should, should get involved in every way possible. And, you know, I kind of let that weight fall on my shoulders a little bit, that thinking that you have to really please everyone, you can't disappoint anyone. Um, so I took that out through my extracurriculars. I did enjoy my extracurriculars, but at the same time, I felt like I have to do this to please someone. I built that perfect resume. Um, you know, I, I apologize if it sounds like I'm bragging here. I'm, I'm just no, listing, no. Uh, you know, class president, 10 AP classes, perfect GPA, great SAT score, all these extracurriculars under the thought that it would pay off and get me in a good school. And I got attached to a really good college and that I thought was the perfect fit for me. And last night, I unfortunately got rejected from it. And it was... I'm not going to lie. It was a really tough experience. Yeah. It still is. I'm still dealing with yeah. it. Um, you know, I, I think that emotional buildup is something that we really need to take a step back and look at as to, is this the right thing for us? Are we putting our kids in the right direction as to this is the expectation that if you do all this, the only benefit is getting into a college. I've learned a lot of things um, from these experiences and Although I didn't get in the college I wanted, I know that it's going to pay off. The hard work I put in is going to pay off one way or another. But it's still hard to take a step back and think, you know, man, I did all this hard work for nothing. Right. And it, it's really heart-wrenching sometimes. And, and Nepon, first of all, thank you for, for being vulnerable and for, for, for sharing that with us. That's an intense experience yeah. that you just went through and you're still going through. I can yeah. see it in your eyes. And... Um, I, I'm going to say something that's going to sound like the old man in the room, but I'll say it anyway. The truth of the matter is you just got a, a real education. Yeah. And that's the way you're dealing with this. Yeah. Um, and, and it sounds trivial, I know, when you're in the middle of it. But it, but it's the truth. What I'm curious about is clearly you have some ability to deal with this or you wouldn't be able to speak about it right now. What about your classmates? What do you see in terms of pressure? And I'm not asking you to speak for other people, sure. but just in general in your peer group, not everybody's able to just let this thing roll yeah um it's a big deal and and what do you see with your peer group when things like this happen yeah that's a that's a good question um you know it varies based on individual to individual i think like tyler said uh, we tend to find solace in ourselves because we're going through these same experiences so oftentimes it's just like a text a facetime call like are you okay we ask them you know how are you dealing with this we give them a little pep talk um but sometimes i've noticed that people tend to just kind of shield themselves off from this um whether that's not going to school or i'm just trying to face not face any embarrassment possible mm. or just kind of sink into their shell uh take some effort off stuff they were already doing mm -hmm. you know 
not finding happiness in the things they're already doing. So it is a tough cycle. Yep. If you were to speak to parents, and I don't mean your parents, I mean in general, if you just had a blank slate and you said, gee, you know, at this point in time on whatever today today is after that experience, what might parents learn in terms of their ability to nurture and take care of their adult children as they're navigating these waters, these pressure-filled waters? I think personally the biggest thing is just tell your kids how much you're proud of them every single day. Um, I think that really means a lot more than it sounds like. Just hearing that from your parents and knowing that you have their support and their full love goes a long way and it makes you feel like what you're doing is right, what you're doing has some value, and you're going to stick to it. Can I just follow up with that too? And then um, one of the questions I had had and you hit on it was a this, this feeling about letting other people down, <laughs> right? That disappointment. Do you think it would be a good idea to have a forum for parents to talk about the pressures and say, no matter what college a kid, or if they don't choose to go to college, if they choose a different path, that maybe we should have sort of a forum on this on academic, yeah. because every single group, you guys, that I've interviewed from the high school, um, different groups it, doing a, um, another program that I do, every single group has said the same thing right. to me. Every single group has said the pressure is doing them in. Yep. And I think we've got to really, number one, we have to start talking to the, the colleges are seeing it because they're, you know, they, they've got to stop demanding that kids have 85 million extracurricular activities and what we're doing to their lives instead of saying, choose a couple things that you love and that you're passionate about so you have time to truly enjoy them. So you're not running from one thing to another. Well, yeah, we sat in a panel just a month ago and yeah. your, new, your new principal said from the stage, I, I'm here to tell you all that what the college that you wear in the front of your sweatshirt is irrelevant when it comes to your measurement of success, happiness and success. They just don't correlate, okay? He went to Framingham State. He's not saying, if you want to go to Harvard, don't go. He's simply saying, look, folks, let's let's get real about this. It's marketing. It's marketing to you. It's marketing to your parents. It's a race that's a fool's game if you're trying to keep up with it. Again, not dissuading from people to reach like you have, but just, just right-size it in your mind. And, and realize it's not the end of the world if you're not wearing that crimson H on your, on your, and you're wearing a Framingham State. In fact, it's the beginning of a great, great, it's all what you do with it. And it may sound trivial, but it's just the truth. Yeah. And I do think it's the parents, and this is just my opinion from where I sit, it's the parents that need this education. Well, because they believe, they, they do because they believe that this, they, they love their kids so much. They said, this is the path to success, not realizing that it absolutely is not. Right. Um, right. It is not. And what it's doing to them, you know, so it's sort of, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I want to remind everybody, Ann, that we are sitting with Tyler Powderly and Nippon Goyle. And yes, this is Safe Radio. My name is Jim Derrick. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Ann Bergen. And we're having a wonderful conversation with two Franklin High School seniors who are sharing with us some of their experience. And Ann, you had a point. I had the second part of the question I was going to ask you is, do you get the sense one of the things is um, that the message getting out is that there's dignity in all work, that if you don't choose the path to a four-year college, that you may want to be a welder or you may want to be a... Do you feel that there's an equal message getting out to young people that there's dignity in all work and that, you, that the traditional four-year route isn't necessary... Uh, isn't necessarily right for everyone. Do you get that sense, or is there, are we still, are we tilted too far the other way? I, I do feel like there is a pressure um, or kind of a societal norm that going to a four-year university mm -hmm. or college is the way to go. Um, I feel like especially with um, 
as as people get younger as the as the generation as new generations come in i feel like it's more acceptable to do to go other paths than a four-year university you're feeling that yes i do feel that but i still think that um especially i've everyone i talk to everyone in my any one of my friends or anyone in the high school thinks that this four-year university is the way to go is build like what we said before build your college resume kind of work towards that goal and I could not name a person off the top of my head that isn't applying to yeah. a college, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. which obviously the college is the right path for a lot of people. But um, especially at Franklin High School, people feel like it's the way to go. It's just it's interesting, though, that the dropout rate from colleges is um, so high because yeah. so many people realize that it isn't for them, you know, but they feel it's the only way I can go. Yeah, yeah. I would say that. Although there is a sense of dignity in those alternate career paths, I still think there's always room for more, um, especially in Franklin, a more white-collar town, professional town. Um, you know, of, oftentimes I've heard in the high school a sense uh, of superiority to the Tri-County Regional Vocational mm-hmm. School in terms of facilities or in terms of career paths or in terms of just in general, and which... Although, you know, sure, it's fun to make fun. It's, it's all good in nature to make fun of other schools sometimes. Uh, sometimes it feels like uh, we're, we're putting them down just because of the career path that they've chosen. And I don't think that's something that we should really continue. Right. Yeah, right. I think we, that, that's something I feel very strongly about, too. I, 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 my brother was a, a builder. You know, he was a gifted builder. But, I, but in school, he was not very strong academically but he always felt kind of like a failure because he he didn't go to the traditional school or and it, I've always lived with that to say you know we really have to do a better job of sort of saying that there's there's so many different paths in so many ways but in ultimately when you find um, work that you love that makes you successful not going to um, you know a particular college but I want I wanted to follow up and now and ask you another question about uh, this is again this isn't unique to Franklin but across the country we're seeing a lot of um, incidents of racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia. Do you get a sense that, that it's increasing? Are you seeing any kind of just your sense of things or what you're seeing? Because we heard a, a young woman testify to her feeling of being um, targeted, and, and um, it was painful to listen to her experience. I was just curious if if you see that happening. And Yeah, I mean, I feel that people don't necessarily realize what they're saying a lot of the times when they say it. People make jokes. Um, like one of the most common phrases is, that's gay. Yeah. People say that. I hear that on a daily basis. Yeah. And uh, I try to do my best to say that's really not what we should be saying in terms of things that are happening that have no relevance to being homosexual. But the incidents like those, I feel, have been around since I've been able to remember. Um, phrases like that... Um, and only recently did it start to rise to greater things like mm-hmm. slurs being written on the walls of the schools or um, like the anti-Semitic acts that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, so things like that have been, I feel, have been increasing. And we've t- discussed this with the principal um, in some of our meetings um, in student government that it is a result or we think it is a result from the pandemic. People, mm-hmm. people were in social isolation for so long that they don't really know what there was no norm. I, I struggle to remember sometimes what life was like before COVID. Of course. Yeah. So people, people returning to that, um, that scene of like going from no school or remote schooling to 
big group of people all back together again, people don't really know how to act and they don't remember what's the social norm and what's acceptable. So that's I, a good definitely, point. I definitely that's think a very good point. those acts yeah. have been increasing. You know, I, that's such a powerful point. And if we think about it, the past three years, Tyler, you're 18? Yes. So you were 15 as this pandemic started, right? Basically. 15, 16, yeah. right? Yep. So, I mean, but but that's a that's a big chunk of time. And, and your point's well taken. I wonder if the schools should have, maybe if it wouldn't be advisable to take a pause as opposed to come right back running in to the school year, MCAS, we're right back to the march again. Mm-hmm. Has there been enough or any pause to recognize what you just said and say, hey, let's get reacclimated. Let's ramp up slowly here. I mean, we did have the hybrid schooling. Um, so that was a little bit of a introduction to kind of getting back to normal per se. We've talked about it. We had assemblies as each class of the high school had assemblies and uh, Principal Hannah talked about um, how some of this behavior that we've been seeing has been a result of coming back. Everyone comes back at the same time. We entered this year where everyone's in the same spot at once and um, we've seen an increase in these terrible behaviors, um, not just racist, anti-Semitic, homophobic acts, but just regular behavioral um, like disruptions to the class mm-hmm. to the classroom or to the school environment. So I feel like it's it's hard to limit such like such actions because they're gonna happen regardless. But I think that coming back like full full swing of things as we came back this fall, um, with everyone back when we hadn't been really everyone back in a very long time yeah. was was it was inevitable that some of these things were going to occur. Knowing some principal Hannah, knowing some of the teachers and guidance people that you we work with, working with them in the Substance Abuse Task Force, looking at some of the students. And as a layperson, as someone who's sitting on the sidelines, sort of, I look at it and I say to myself, are we really meeting each other as human beings? Are we really taking, to, because of all the pressures, you've got you've got to teach to, you know, get, get through MCAS, you've got to get through standards, you've got a certain block of time to get students up and, and ramped up again. You guys are all facing deadlines. Everybody's deadline driven. Are we missing the fact that we're all human beings struggling to get through this pandemic together? And are we leveling up to that spot where we say, hey, this is tough on us too. It's tough on you guys. We get that. Let's collaborate together to to make this work a little bit better. And maybe I'm looking in from the outside making too much of that. But it just feels to me like the human component is missing sometimes around the school schedule, the school calendar, the teaching to deadlines and all that. But And I wonder, too, when following up on that to ask you guys, um, when kids weren't in school, I think if I probably... I think I'm right on this, that they were spending more time on social media, um, getting kind of pulled into that world yep. a little bit. Can you speak a little bit about maybe some of the, the downside of what's happening with that? Because the more time uh, young people are spending in the influences in social media, then that they're not learning necessarily all the right <laughs> ways to behave and that they bring that into the school as well because they've, they've lost the influence of adults and they've gone into that peer world a lot more. And I think it's got to have some, some impact. Can you speak a little bit about what you see with that? Or yeah, totally. So, social media use has definitely increased yeah. as a result of the pandemic, and I think one of the effects of that has just been kind of seeing everything as not as serious as it should be, yeah. um, taking life a little bit more lax. And although that's a good thing to do at times, um, you know, always living by that, always living by that standard of you know, let's get this 
cool picture right here. Let's go and hang out. Let's uh, make sure our profile was looking as good as possible for all these followers online rather than, you know, directing your attention towards school and towards behaving properly. Um, that has had some detrimental effects just in general speaking. Yeah. I mean, we know that alcohol rates, use rates in adults is way up. We yep. know that uh, adults are coping through a variety of unhealthy behaviors. To be surprised that students are compensating with mm. unhealthy behaviors yeah. would be absolutely ridiculous and disingenuous, yep. Yep. right? We're all human beings. But again, the, 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 um, the fear that, that we have, and, and, and we at SAFE see the uh, calls for mental health assistance, for substance uh, calls, for mental health crises, we see them skyrocketing through this, as you would expect. And the fear is that, um, that we're, you're not being supported enough. And so it's why we're, we're, our goal, our joint goal through the Substance Abuse Task Force, the school committee, through SAFE Coalition, is to provide more supports for you that are what I call handles that you can grab onto safety lines that you guys can grab should you need help. Um, because as you've identified before, some people have friends that they can easily identify and text and others go into holes and cope with destructive behavior. So we want to try to head that off. You guys are leaders in the school. You guys are what I would consider to be the guys that I always wanted to be when I was in high school, right? You're, you're, class presidents, your football, soccer players, you're well-spoken, you're applying to schools, you appear to be socially uh, very well-adjusted. But you also, as leaders, represent a school body that that's not always the case. You've got a lot of kids that we used to call the K-Wing, the kids that were, that are left behind, that aren't, don't feel like they belong, that clearly have developmental delays or issues. Can you speak a little bit about what your perception is as to as to how that population could better be supported in the schools? Yeah, I mean, obviously the our high school is a very big school. We've got mm-hmm. eighteen hundred kids. Um, there's a wide variety of people, um, and people tend to stick together to the people that have similar interests to them. So you see, like you mentioned, what was called the K wing. I believe you said um, people who have who are find themselves in that situation tend to stick together in that group Mm -hmm. and sometimes turn to destructive behaviors either whether it just be behavioral like in school um, or outside of school with substance substance use etc and then people like Nippon and I who um, like you said are leaders um, who play sports people tend to stick around to those stick with those groups so my friends are the people I play soccer with and Nippon is friends with the people he plays football with and we do band together so because of that we're friends Um, so people tend to stick together and um, it's hard to reach all of those different groups with one message so it's difficult because everyone is going through different problems some of the problems we share some of the problems we share completely like such as anxiety and stress over um, high school academics and extracurriculars, um, but some is also some these problems are specific to each group. So having an outlet to um, to use is very important. So if if you're struggling with substance use, reaching out to your friends might not always be the best option because the people you hang people you hang out with probably have similar interests. So it's just getting into getting to that group, getting to the heart of that group, those groups that do use substances or groups that are struggling with specific things and getting them to seek help outside of their just little core group.
especially also you talked about those kids that are left behind in the academic sense. Um, there's a lot of things that at the school that I believe we can do with our academic curriculum and teachers in terms of how we can seek help. Of course, we have the different classes, AP classes, honors classes, CP classes, but I've heard from many of these students that, you know, there's only so much attention that a teacher can give a student individually when they're struggling, when they need help in a class period. And although there are, you know, special learning opportunities, that's not the best option for everyone either. And neither is peer tutoring after school. There's needs to be some kind of middle ground formed. Um, I'm not sure what exactly it might be, Mm -hmm. but just in terms of academics as to what we can achieve, what we need to accomplish. Not everyone is able to do all these tasks, turn them in on time. People have things going on in their lives. There needs to be a bigger understanding among teachers. I think teachers have done a relatively well job with that, but um, that could be something we work on. And like you said, just four-year college is not the best option for everyone, so we have to attack our curriculum with that in mind. As leaders in the school, and just in general, forget as leaders. Do you have the sense that if there's a mental health crisis in the school uh, with one of your peers, with you, that you would know where to turn other than your parents within the school? And would you feel comfortable in turning to those people or to that resource? Yeah, I feel like it's more the second part about being comfortable because there are um, things in place such as adjustment counselors um, at our schools, people you can talk to, but often it's a sense of uh, kids not wanting to go to those people because they feel embarrassed. And like we spoke to before, letting people down is probably one of the biggest things that, uh, biggest problems that students face. Um, it's constantly trying to make other people proud, um, impress people, not let people, not let people down and not fall short of everyone's expectations. So there are certain resources that are, that are available. Like I mentioned, um, it's just encouraging the students to seek out those resources and actually go to them. I'll never forget speaking at a, at a local high school. It didn't happen to be Franklin. And it was a young man uh, by the name of Derek Etchell who was speaking about his, his experience going through school. And unfortunately, um, he was a great football player, great baseball player, and, and, and wound up um, uh, succumbing to substance use disorder, which he's now happily been in recovery for for over 10 years. I'll never forget the line of students waiting to speak with him afterwards. And I was in within earshot when a couple came up to them and to him and said, you know, I attempted suicide uh, a year ago, but I, I felt comfortable going to my peer group and to my counselor. And it was a very powerful moment. And I, and I thought that this particular system that, which was peer driven in this particular high school was powerful because it were peer leaders that were, that were available in these crises moments and have been trained up to be able to 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 reach out to each other and and to help them so they're not looking at somebody with gray hair um, and 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 um, they felt very supported I, I'm also curious Tyler and I really want to ask this question of both of you to get through to people that are afraid that are afraid of letting somebody down is it helpful to see older people being vulnerable as role models like if you have someone that you respect and trust stand in front of you and say, look, I want to tell you something about my life story. I had a mental health crisis. I had a substance problem. And here's how I dealt with it. Is that something that's helpful? I'm seeing you both. Yeah, nod. absolutely. Yep. Um, I feel like it's not even just adults going through those or students seeing adults going through. It's students seeing other students go yep. through those same yep. problems. So if um, someone that someone else admires 
um, has a mental health crisis and say goes to the school adjustment counselor, um, someone who someone who looks up to them sees that and says maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea if I sought out help. Um, but both those students and adults, seeing adults be vulnerable, seeing that this doesn't just happen to kids at high school that have stress and anxiety. This happens to people of all ages. So saying that you're not alone and seeking help, there's nothing to be embarrassed of seeking help. And I can tell you that it's absolutely true. It happens to all of us. If you're alive, you're going to have a problem at some point in your life. Um, and so that's, thank you for sharing that. That's really, really important to hear. And well, One of the things I, I was, I, what the question I was going to be asking about the stigma of reaching out um, for help, I think it's particularly difficult. I may be wrong for boys, especially because it's that whole idea of being kind of tough. And, yep, and, yep. and we see boys increasingly with mental health issues and um, substance use by and learning disabilities and very, very reluctant to seek help. But I'm going to be speaking to a group of teachers next month, and you you hit on something, and I wonder if, if, if teachers sort of come out from behind a little bit and share maybe some of the things that they went through as kids, you know, um, that they're human. And to me, that's always been something I felt that teachers need to do is to be able to sort of say, boy, when, when I failed that test or when I didn't get into, you know, this is, I've, or that day that I got rejected and my girlfriend dumped me, you know, not real personal stuff, but yeah. just somehow for kids to have that relationship. How important is that relationship with the teacher? Can you give me some insight to that? No, it's extremely important, as you yeah. said, that element of humanizing yourself yeah. to your students. You're not just this robot who's grading their papers. Um, you're an actual human being who's gone through life experiences and has that load of wisdom that they can, you know, provide support to students for in times of need. Um, there's plenty of teachers who I've talked to after school or just throughout activities that have been vulnerable to me and have mm -hmm. talked about some of their life struggles. And like Tyler said, the aspect of feeling you're not alone, yeah. that really yeah. hits home to me. And as a result, once they humanize themselves, you feel like this is someone I can trust. This is someone I can turn to in times of need, in times where I feel like everything's going wrong and I have nothing, no one to tell this to other than my parents. And although my parents love me, sometimes they're not going to say everything that you want to hear. Right. Or sometimes they're going to try to say what you want to hear, mm -hmm. but it's not really what you need to hear. Mm -hmm. And that comes from a separate adult role model that I think a lot of teachers really have the potential to be for students. One of my sons is at, is at uh, school, and, um, and he found the registrar to be extremely <laughs> approachable and having uh, just formed a relationship with him and, and has found him to be a real role model. So you never know where it's going to come from. It could be a coach, a teacher, it could be a custodian, it could be somebody that's, that's there as a role model. It's funny, I, I, my, dad, my dad's 88, and I talk to him every morning at 7.30 in the morning every day to stay in the rhythm of each other's lives. And I love what he said about wisdom. He said, you know, you used to think I was smarter than you are, and I'm no smarter than you are. Wisdom's just running around the track more times so I recognize the scenery when I go by it. That's all it is. I just have more time on the planet. So um, he's always been very relatable to me, but I love what you said. It's you, it's not always your parents you're looking to hear from. You, you're, you're starting to move. That's the nature of flying the nest, and you're starting to look out and look elsewhere for for assistance. Can I follow? Uh, just uh, This is one I'm really curious about because <clears throat> when I was growing up, as I'm quite a bit older and went, you know, um, we had heroes um, for us, it was, and they all were shot, assassinated. You know, it was John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr. We watched one by one, our role models all. And I was curious today, apart from our parents, your parents, um, 
and some teachers. Are there are there role models out there that that, that young people look to um, to sort of inspire? That you say, I want to be like that person, or is it more closer to home? Is it more our families, or what's your sense of that? Are there are there those role models out there anymore? Yeah, I feel like there's a mix of both people, like in your real life, that you can right. like tangible. You can you can talk to, or you sure. can you can look and see live. But there's also um, we talked about the presence of social media. You see these people, you see athletes um, and professionals um, that you also look up to. Is so, it mostly athletes? I, I believe so. That's I, what I'm I thinking too. So, yeah. Yes, yep. It seems pe- to be that it's yeah. athlete. Because yeah, I was looking at the the the, the biggest inf- the, the the people who have the biggest following on social media influences, the Kardashians, Jennifer Lopez. I was in order. There was one soccer player who was number one in the world, but yep. he's not mm-hmm. from uh, the United States. Yep. Was the one that had the most followers, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but I thought, who are the young people? Yes. Kind of not Tyler's, the Kardashians. Tyler's clicking away to try to unfollow Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke, curious. by the way. <laughs> I threw him under the bus. <laughs> yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, it yeah. Just, I said, oh, it can't be the Kardashians with all the plastic surgeries and <laughs> that somehow success is, yeah. you know, you know, be, making a billion dollars for doing nothing. And oh, oh, I said these. Can't be the the role models that are out there for. Oh. Yes. It's, it's it's funny because um, you see there's athletes there's multiple categories of people that um, students or young people look up to. The athletes is probably one of the most prevalent because they're visible because yeah. they are because they're always um, you go watch the games you sure. enjoy them. Um, but there's also musical artists. Like yeah, I know um, to bring a name into this, Taylor Swift is a big, big influence among uh, a lot of my yes. female friends. I love what uh, she I love writes. Taylor Swift. No. I, I love, love what personally, she writes. Yeah, personally you're right. Do as well. Yeah, you're right. Um, but a lot of people, especially young girls, look up to her. Yeah. Sure. Um, and uh, as a, as not just an artist, a musical artist, but as a role model. Absolutely, sure. yeah. So um, as social media um, grows, people, a lot of these people can become more present than just the field that they reside in. Yeah. So athletes can become more than just athletes. They can become activists and same with, same with, um, musical artists yeah. so they but, can they can project their ideas but that's but you're right so many of them are activists some like mm-hmm. actors they're doing they're you know purifying water in africa yeah mm-hmm. you're right Bono, i, I didn't even think about Sean that it's Penn. just yeah it's just taking a different yeah that's yeah. good that's yeah, reassuring I love to that. me that's I love that. <laughs> thank you for that that's <laughs> it's okay helpful. with you i want to shift gears for one second yeah i, I really uh, want to ask you about your perception again personally and then what you think if you can to the extent you can speak for other people um but let's talk about marijuana, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, it's a subject that adults are wrestling with as as it's become legalized. Um, I have personal opinions about it, and I also have anecdotes, but but I don't think they're really relevant because I think the important thing is how do your how does your generation, your classmates, or even you, perceive marijuana right now relative to it being a helpful substance, a non-helpful substance? what its relevance is towards alcohol. How do you, what do you feel about marijuana? Um, I feel like in just the recent, recent times as marijuana becomes legalized, the stigma kind of goes away. So, um, people view, especially adults view it not as harmful anymore because it's becoming legal for recreational use. And obviously that as students and young people see that adults are using more in a recreational sense, it becomes, in their eyes, less dangerous. So I personally know people who are who use marijuana, sure. and it's become increasingly um, available, um, so to speak, in 
young in young people's lives. Um, it's easier for people to obtain it, um, especially as it becomes legalized for uh, um, adults. Adults can obtain, um, and kids get their hands on it and don't see it as dangerous. And obviously, um, as a gateway drug, it can lead to other things. Um, but people don't see just marijuana use itself as dangerous. And when I say that, that's a generalization, people, mm-hmm. more than in the past. Yep. No, I would agree. The general outlook right now on marijuana is that it's 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 out there. It's it's not as dangerous as tobacco or alcohol. It's more of an outlet for a possible stress relief. Um, people say, you know, when you when you use it and you feel good, and, you know, you feel like you can just take a deep breath and relax. Um, that's something I've heard from people who who use marijuana. They it's the the public perception right now, especially among high schoolers, is that it's not something that mm. they should be concerned about. Mm. Good. I really appreciate that. And and I suspected that, but it's powerful hearing it from, from both of you. And I'm tempted to go on about some of the stuff that I do know about it. But one of the things I have to say as a disclaimer is that today's marijuana is much different than when it was being introduced to me. Or uh, The fact of the matter is that today's marijuana is so potent. Uh, you can find it for sale up to 98% pure THC. So it's really not even a plant at that point. It's the chemical compound in the plant. What's the relevance of that on the developing brain? It's a very dangerous substance to be used chronically, just like drinking alcohol at a young age is going to interrupt um, the development of the brain. Um, And there are things such as marijuana-induced psychosis, which is happening with regularity. Uh, Psychiatrists report back in that regularly. Um, You've probably heard of the chronic vomiting that can happen um, and and happen. So um, it's not a benign substance, particularly for youth. But I really have to take a generational responsibility for the perception of marijuana because as a generation I believe we let down our youth when we felt a rush to to legalize it and having been a part of the um, someone who testified in the hill against legalizing it when when and how they did um, I was quite disappointed when when that happened all of that to say though again it's the perception yeah that is important because as you said before the perception with asking for help is that it you know, maybe an embarrassment, and that's what holds people back, the perception that this is safe. I can scream from the hilltops all I want about how harmful it is. It can't really beat back that perception. So it it leads me to another question, which is um, how do you see, again, not throwing anybody under the bus, but just how do you see marijuana being used in school? Do you see it by just a specific group? Is it widely used um, to athletes, to scholars, to people that aren't making it? Um, now, how pervasive is marijuana use? Yeah, so at the high school, I should say. Yeah, I'm, I, I, of course, I can't speak for everyone, of but um, from what I have seen and heard, it, it is quite pervasive uh, marijuana use among different groups. Of course, there's the groups of people who use marijuana very regularly. Right. Um, you know, they just have it all in access and they, they they love to use it and it's something you know it's become part of their personality uh, per se and you know they find solace in that and then there are those who have it available to them and they just use it once in a while maybe you know twice twice a month something like that um and it is it depends on athletes yeah. scholars like you said 
all different groups of people have access to it and use it based on their own needs. Yeah. And this may seem like a silly question because you guys may be saying, well, who is this guy? But remember, I'm 61 years old. I haven't been in high school in a long time. We, we, we see the results of kids coming into or mm-hmm. parents coming into SAFE uh, with middle schoolers that are vaping. It seems to me, though, it, the information has to get out that this stuff is really very damaging. It is making people sick. And well, do kids listen to that or do they kind of just shut? Do you think if there's like in a health class and they say, you know, that it's so toxic now compared to the old marijuana, um, will they listen to that or does that just... Is that not the way to get the information out to young people? I feel like as sad as it is, it takes some sort of dangerous event or experience yeah. to yeah, that's what with, I thought. with someone close to you to really realize the dangers. Yeah. Like um, in a more extreme sense, I've heard people say that they don't think that driving high or under the influence of marijuana is as bad as driving drunk under the yep, influence right. of alcohol. And I think... As sad as it is, it would take some sort of tragic accident, uh, such as a car crash, for people to realize this is not, this is not safe. And Tyler, that view comes from parents. I can tell you that. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you every one of those kids that has that view comes from a parent. But I can tell you, I know a lot of adults that would agree with that, that would say, hey, driving high is not a big deal. Yeah. Um, I drive better when I'm high. And, and it's, it's horrifying to hear. Um, but I think a lot of what we're hearing is a result of modeling or the lack of modeling behavior by our generation. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's if you talk about uh, mental health, any of this, it it's all gets back to modeling, and um, you know the landscape that we're setting up for you all, and the context that you guys have through which you view your lives. Can I just ask one final question for you guys? I know it's late, and I don't, we don't want to keep you, but I, for me, one final question was: we have that uh, mantra like. Um, see something, say something. Now, we just saw an incident where in Michigan where uh, the young boy bought the gun into school and he killed some of his classmates. And a number of people knew about it ahead of time. He had posted on social media, um, but no one said anything. Is saying something still seen as um, paddling, or do you think this... Do you think that that's enough? We have that in there that it takes courage. Help me with that one, would you? Yeah, yeah. I would say when there's a situation as extreme as, you know, knowing a student has access to a gun and may potentially bring that to class, I think all morality about being a snitch goes out the window, uh, personally, from peers and in the high school. But I would say that in instances of potential bullying or other yeah. harm being done, Unfortunately, there is a bit of a culture of don't ask, don't tell still remaining in the schools, whereas, you know, it's going it's going on, you know, it may be wrong, but, you know, everyone does it. Everyone deals with it. You know, we just kind of brush it aside. I think about one of my nephews who was bullied because he was gay and he was tormented beyond belief. This was a long time ago. Um, No one said anything or that he wasn't he was didn't want to be, you know, it's like didn't want to um, tell anyone that he was being bullied. Yeah. If if someone's being targeted in school, would would do you think there would be people who would go to it just a trusted adult and say, listen, don't use my name. I need you to be aware that this kid is being targeted in the hallways or on the football field or whatever. Is is the, is that possible? Is that happening a little bit? Yes, that that's definitely happening. Oh, good. From, from okay, that makes me yes. happy. And I also feel that like. Uh, there are s- certain people who will speak out against yeah. many yep. things that yep. happen. And as long as we have some of those people, I, yeah. think, I think we're in good hands. Um, but as sad as it is, 
a lot of times when people say something, it doesn't matter if they're they want to remain anonymous. Word will get back about who who tattled, who yep. snitched. Yep. Is what people will say. So, um, no matter if um, people want to, uh, people want to be that be the hero or not, and be the yeah. one that reports it and one that ends it. Uh, people are still people are still afraid of say. Um, Talking, telling untrusted adult about a bullying situation and having the bully discover their identity and come back and um, repeat the same behaviors Got to it. them. Okay, so there's a fear element. There is a fear. Yeah. There is. Yeah. You know, I have we have two young men sitting in front of us that um, <laughs> are among the best. Yeah. Uh, and sure. I'm, I'm so you. pleased to meet. I've met you before, but I haven't met Tyler before. And um, boy, I'll tell you what. I, if you were a stock, I'd buy you. <laughs> you're, you're, you're going up. Um, but I do want to just double down on one thing, and that's role models. And uh, Tyler, your mom is the uh, um, executive director of the food pantry. Correct. And um, I don't know your folks. I imagine they're wonderful people. Yes. But but you also have a local uh, connection to somebody who did something rather unique here in Franklin, and that's Kobe Frangelo, yes. who went and ran for town council, being audacious, young man. Yeah. He put together the best campaign I've ever seen run mm-hmm. by far uh, by taking trusted people like you and saying, hey, could you be my field soldiers? Do you believe in me? Do you, can we do this together? And you did it. And so my question to both of you really is... Um, Tyler, your mom has been very impactful for me as I've watched her lead uh, in town here. And she's done a number of things, uh, not only with the food pantry, but being on t- town council. And Kobe, I just think, is 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 a, is um, really the leader of the future. He's really got it going right. Both of them are giving back locally here. What does it mean to you individually to, to see that type of community activism on the part of two people that, that you admire, or maybe possibly on the part of your parents as well? I don't mean to exclude them. I just am more aware mm-hmm. of you and Kobe. Yeah. Tyler, starting with you, what, what does, how does that inform you? I mean, it's obviously very impactful to see how hard my mother works, um, um, what she does, and how she can make a difference. It's also, as a role model, um, it's, good, it's important that I see not just the product of what she's putting in but also what what goes on behind the scenes so i see at home um what mm-hmm. with all the work she's putting in and the, the stressors the positives the negatives of all the work and it reminds me that it's not it's not going to be easy to uh, to do these things it's not easy to mm-hmm. give back and um have the level of success she's had but having seeing that um you put if you put in hard work and you really enjoy what you're doing and um trust in people that you can make a difference and that, I think that's powerful to see especially someone so close to me um, mm-hmm. to see that and know that I could I can do that in my life and I'll bet you've grown up knowing uh, and, and having a great deal of empathy for those that are un- underfed in our community and a real knowledge that that you know we all may look like we're fine here but we're not and Absolutely. we need to support our neighbor and you've grown up on, in that yes, environment exactly yeah, that's powerful stuff. Um, I want to ask you the same question, sure. and, and if you want to reflect on your folks or, or anyone else that's inspired you, please do. Sure. No, I, I would love to talk about Kobe. I think Kobe's just the embodiment of love for a community and what that does. And, you know, here's a guy who was a phenomenal student at Franklin High School, you know, involved in many sorts of ways, went to UMass Amherst, stayed at a state school, landed himself a phenomenal job. But that's not enough for him he still wants to give back to that community that raised him and i think there's just so much value in that um personally speaking um 
you don't see the work like Tyler said that goes into a lot of these community projects that we have. You know, when I call a game for Franklin TV, it's not as it's it's not as easy as it seems. There's a lot of behind the scenes action, whether the filming, the editing, uh, the live stream aspect. So I've grown. I've come to appreciate everything about this town a lot more than in years past, just from seeing the process, going to the school committee meetings, meeting the candidates, learning their values, uh, you know, seeing what Kobe does, everything that the studio does. So it, it's a great town. It just gives, it just makes me feel proud to be here. You know, I moved here in third grade, so <laughs> it just makes me feel a, a bigger part of the community than I was before. And, and the thing, trade that. yeah, yeah it's, it's a wonderful answer. And, and both of them. And, and the thing is you carry that to whatever community you wind up exactly. in to the next college campus that has you to the next employer that has you. Um, and, and back to the modeling, I just, I, I thank my parents for always being involved with the food pantry for my yep. dear mother who started as a hospice volunteer when I was very young all these lessons that, you know what, they stuck with me. And, you know, I, I feel very fortunate to have had that modeling. And I also think it can be communal modeling. It doesn't have to come from parents. Kobe, it comes from you guys. You go on to your next place and you're leaders and you start gathering other like-minded people around you. And maybe someone who wasn't necessarily inclined to do that or stick their neck out, you inspire. And truly, it goes back to that Margaret Mead quote, which is... Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And it really comes down yeah. to each one of us. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that. And, and there is no doubt that we're looking at our readers right here currently and future superstars in that. It, they were so willing and gracious to come and, and reschedule a couple of times. They said, you need us to be here, we're here. And yeah. they said, you know, because they knew that um, they were going to be helping the community as a whole. And yeah. so I just want to thank you both for coming. I know you're, you're busy and you have a lot on your plates, and um, yeah. but to thank you very, no, it's very our much. Pleasure. Our thank pleasure. You. Yeah, thank thank you. You. And finally, before we wrap up, I do want to give out the Safe Coalition support line telephone number. If you or anybody you know could use help relative to substance use disorder or mental health, please call 508-488-8105. That is the Safe Coalition support line, and we will be happy to help you. So for our guests, Napon Goyle and Tyler Powderly, I'm Jim Derrick. And I'm Ann Bergen. And we will see you next week on Safe Radio.